Welcome to the Shallow Dive on Koheles, the book of Ecclesiastes. Join us as we explore the treasures gathered by King Solomon. I hope you enjoy it. Let's take a look, Perak Yud, Pasuk Tes, chapter 10, verse 9. Masia Avonim, one who hews stones from the quarry shall be saddened through them, by them. One who splits wood, Yisochen is controversial, what it means either will become endangered through them or will be warmed by them. Let's take a look at Targum. Omar Shlomo Malka Nevio. This verse, the Targum explains, is being conveyed through King Solomon as a prophet. So here, he is even on a higher level, level than what we saw prior in verse 7, where it said, Omar Shlomo Malka Buruach Nevoah, in the spirit of prophecy. Here it's describing him as a prophet. Malka Nevia. He is both a king and a prophet. Gole Kodomai. It is revealed before me. King Solomon. Looking prophetically. Dimenashe Bar Hiskiyahu. Menashe. One of the most notorious kings of Judah. The son of Hiskiyahu, who is righteous. Osid. Lemecha will in the future sin, become guilty. Ulemizgad litalmayo de'avnin and worship idols of stone. Begin came, and on account of that, Ismasabiad Malko de'asur, he will be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. And be bound in chains. On account of his negation from the words of the Torah, of enlightenment. That were written. Written on tablets of stone originally, from their source. Begin came, it's Tarbahon. And therefore, <coughs> will suffer for them. Very interesting <coughs> vision King Solomon has, his descendant, a wicked descendant, worshipping idols of stone. He was a king. Menashe was a king. And the worship of idols of stone is a particular affront in that it is the rejection of the tablets of stone 
the divine will communicated through the tablets of stone. And this will be a source of suffering for him. According to our tradition, Menashe actually did do teshuva, did repent, return, in spite of his terrible deeds of wickedness. Unfortunately, Chizkiyo Amelech, according to the Targum, did not have a lot of nachas from his children, at least not the immediate children. Going further down in his descendants, we can anticipate some nachas, but not his actual children. The first one, although Chizkiyo was righteous, the first one, Menashe, was a disaster of a king. And then we have, apparently, his brother. Virav Shoke Achohi. And this is a Chiddush novel. It's not explicit, to the best of my knowledge. In Tanakh, we have the character of Rav Shake, who is famous for his blaspheming. As the, a member of the Assyrian assault against the kingdom of Judah, making this public cursing that is followed up by the appropriate rending of the garment to those who hear this blasphemy. Not only was he a Jewish apostate, but apparently, according to the Targum, he was actually the son of the king, son of Chizkiyo. So we have two wicked brothers, Menashe, the king, and his brother, the apostate, Rafshake. Not, not a very pleasant vision for King Solomon to behold about his descendants. In the future, he will bow down, worship, Idols, decasing of wood. Ulemishbak, this Gomeoraisa, and to forsake the words of the Torah. Going to become an apostate. De Isyovan, Barona Kesi, Dishite. So parallel to his brother, who worships stone, that if you look at the, the height, of the utility of stone. It was the substrate on which the will of God was transmitted through the tablets of stone. Similarly, wood, in its most lofty utility, were the element, wood was the element used to house the tablets. The holy ark that housed the testimony a divine communication with humanity through the revelation at Sinai. That ark created from Atseshitim, Acacia wood. Unfortunately, due to the wicked choices of Rav Shake, he worshipped wood. Wooden idols. Another terrible rejection and full apostasy. Begin Cain on account of this Asid li'itokta, benura. In the future, 
he will burn in fire. Al yad malocha dadonai, by the hand of the angel of God. So we we find these two brothers, descendants of King Solomon, both alluded to in his verse. I would say, according to the Pashat rendering of the verse, the simple, straightforward interpretation, as I mentioned, the word Yisachen, bomb, is debated. What it means in the simple sense is it used Yisachen as a sense of a source of warmth or an endangering. Clearly, the way Targum is understanding the simple interpretation would be endangering, just like these, the one who use the stones, will be saddened by them, so to the one chopping the wood will be endangered through them. There's a direct parallel here. Describing the one who is worshipping idols of stone or worshipping idols of wood, both are going to suffer, both Menashe and Rav Shoke. The context of this verse is really a continuity of what Targum is explaining, the future tragic fall of the Jewish people. So he's describing the, the rot at the highest levels, the king, Menashe, and his brother, who was a prince, son of Hiskio, that would become an apostate and join the Assyrian army come to engage in, in blaspheming and blaspheming the name of God in this attack. It's hard to know when comparing these two that are obviously quite parallel, what's worse. Each one is, seems worse than the next. <laughs> you look at both. The terminology, just to, to highlight the difference when discussing Menashe, Targum adds a word that is a little bit different to point it out. He says he will become guilty, lemechab, or to sin, become guilty, prior to, obviously, the guilt incurred by worshipping idols of stone. When looking at the other sinful brother, Rav Shoke, it doesn't say that he will become guilty. It just says what he will do. He will worship idols of wood. Both are, to a, a great degree, by engaging in idolatry is the most obvious example, rejecting the Torah. But there's a subtle difference between those as well. By Menashe, it says, De'avtel his gome oraisa. He negates from the words of the Torah. So although he is engaged in idolatry, just like his brother, the king of, of Judea is still identifying as a Jew. Although he's not acting like a Jew, he's still the king of the Jews, if you will. And he is negating from the Torah. Whereas Rav Shake has totally abandon that identity and lemishbak 
is Gomeraisa. He has forsaken the words of the Torah. He is identifying entirely as an Assyrian. He's an apostate. He's, he's not just a sinful Jew. He has handed in his identity as a Jew and exchanged it for another nation. So that it's not that he's mimavatal, negating from the Torah. He is totally rejecting and forsaking the Torah. I, I would say that the two, the Yukon, these two subtle differences fit together. The description of Menashe as being guilty, being sinful, go hand in hand with his retention of his Jewish identity. The very fact that he is still a Jew means that yes, he's engaging in idolatry, but as a Jew. His background and default is as one who recognizes idolatry as sinful, as a fundamentally at odds with his behavior. Whereas Rav Shake, who has, if you look at the, the title itself, the, the great rejecter, the, the one who is Shavik, who, who is forsaken, Lemishbak, he's forsaken his entire identity as a Jew. He's not sinning. He's just being a good, idolatrous Assyrian. There's no tension within his persona. He's given it all up. He, he's not Jewish anymore. Now, of course, he, he might actually halachically be Jewish. I'm not taking that away from him. But in terms of how he is relating to that, he's not struggling with it at all. And on the face of it, he has rejected that identity entirely as an apostate, embracing Assyria entirely. Whereas Menashe, as evil as he was, was still Jewish. So he was sinning right. within this sinful behavior. Not not just uh, doing what Assyrians do, which is idolatry. How would you characterize the other man who just rejected his identity? Rav Shaki, his brother. His brother. Um, then how would we say about his um, wickedness or sin? It's not really a sin against, it's not a Jew sinning against the Torah, but it's, um, I, I don't know, what, what would be the word that would describe his sin or his error? Apostasy. Apostasy, okay. It's a, it is a... It's not like heresy, he's not a heretic. He's an apostate, isn't it? Correct. Okay. Correct. It's it's a separate problem. It's a separate problem. Okay. Is it the um, translation to be cut off? Well, that's speaking about the, the spiritual punishment of kares, which actually is entailed by idolatry. Both are engaging mm -hmm. in idolatry. So mm -hmm. kares is a consequence of idolatry. It's not all or nothing, but a person engenders this very powerful harm to themselves by engaging in idolatry that in, in the ultimate sense can obliterate their eternal existence. It, it's serious business, obviously. What does the Torah prescribe for punishment for the apostate? So the, the Ramam speaks about it. Okay. Let's take a look. Mishomid is the term, actually, for an apostate. Mishomid. 
we look in the laws of Tshuva, the Raman says in Peg Gimel, Alachates, Shnaim Heina Mishumadim, there are two types of Mishumadim, a Mishumid Lavera Achas, one who is a Mishumad for one sin, the Mishumad Cholotarkula, and one who is a Mishumad for the entire Torah, a Mishumad Lavera Achas, Zesh Hirsik Atmolasus Ozaver Bezodun, Nisparisimba, the Horgel Afilo Haisa Minakalas, Gehon Shehoksik Tomid Lilba Shatnis, for example, one who always publicly negates in his conduct any mitzvah, even a mitzvah that is not of the most severe caliber. So if he always wears shatnes, for example, his prohibited garments of wool and linen, oh, lack of peah, or he regularly cuts off his peah, the corners of, of his beard or of his head, or the, the hair is growing by the temple area. Nimsa, he totally disregards this mitzvah. Not something that he struggles with. It's just non-existent by him. He's considered a mishomid for that matter. This requires that he does so in a manner of trying to anger God, as it were. This is an act of rebellion. One who is a mishomid for the entire Torah, kegom. One who goes to the religions of the nations. Bishashi goes in Shmat, even under duress. So if he is exchanging his connection to the Torah, to the Jewish people, it's okay. He's joining up. He wants to be with the winners. There in ascendancy. So that's it. Vidbak Behen, he wants to stick with them. What do I gain by staying together with the Jewish people? They are lowly. They are pursued. He says, better to stick with those that are in ascendancy and power. This person is called a Mishumat. He is an apostate for the entire Torah. So regardless of his personal beliefs, by presenting himself as a newly minted member of the dominating nation, whatever that might be, he says, okay, now I'm a Viking. In the right century, that might have been a good thing. So, you know, for power. So, so if he's rejecting his identity as a Jew, he is an apostate, even if he privately says, ah, oh, come on, that Thor thing is such a joke. But he, he's joining up with the team in power, and for all practical purposes, mm-hmm. has rejected, severed any connection to the Jewish people, that is a Mishumit. The Ravid says, one who goes over to the religions of the nations, which is idolatrous, he says, such a person accepts Jesus, and that is a min. That's a separate problem. He says, the, the Ravid is not saying it's wrong per se. He's saying somebody who goes over to the other nations is going to be guilty of other flaws, like being a min. A min is somebody, as Rama mentions earlier, in these categories of very serious types of sins, the minim include those that are worshippers of Yeshu. They either believe 
God has a corporal manifestation or that there is an intermediary between humanity and God that they worship various problems with the belief in Jesus that is typically found among Christians that would label a Jew who maintains those beliefs a min, a separate species, as it were, distinct in, in the beliefs that are beyond the pale of normative classical Judaism. Rabbit says, hey, he's a min. Besides this Meshumid business, he's joined up with, the, with, with Christianity and he is now a min as opposed to just uh, a Meshumad, as described by the Ramam. And in defense of the Ramam, as the Kassim Mishnah mentions, he might just be joining up on the face of it and in his internal private beliefs may not actually be buying in. So he is nonetheless a Meshumad. Whether he actually believes it or not, that's a separate question. If he believes it, he could be a min. If he doesn't believe it, he's still a Meshumad. So it can be both. A person could be both. And min or min. A person could be, right, or, or the other way around. A person could still be a Jew, not present himself as a Christian, and still be a min. Still falsely believe that God has a physical manifestation or that they should worship, whether it be Yeshu, Jesus, or anybody else as some necessary intermediary between them and God, or humanity and God. And that, that is minus whether they identify as uh, messianic, let's say, mm -hmm. or not. It, it doesn't matter whether they're technically abandoning their identity as a Jew or not, that is minus. The belief is minus. Who, um, actually identify as Jews, they're loyal, totally, fiercely loyal to being Jewish, and they uh, yet have gone over to the belief in uh, Christianity or Yeshu, um, and uh, have no desire to reject their identity and be a Meshuman um, or to be a heretic, how are they, how are they defined? How are they classified? Well, they may, they may not want to be called a heretic, but if their belief is heretical, so they would right. be worthy of that title. But are they a Meshuman? No, not necessarily. Oh, no. Okay. Meshuman is a separate thing. Okay. Meshuman is describing their national identity, right. which is not necessarily consistent with their personal beliefs. Right. Okay. They could be a crypto-Jew, mm -hmm. but to the world they are a Christian, a good, upstanding member of uh, Catholicism, mm -hmm. and uh, to, to avoid expulsion from Spain, many right. Jews, unfortunately, succumbed yes. to that challenge. <clears throat> and... I'm sure many of them didn't suddenly wake up and see the light of Jesus and recognize that he was their necessary well, link no, to God. Yeah. But they decided, let's just join the winning team. So they became Meshumah, Meshuma. even if they weren't Minim. Correct, correct. Yeah. As a Meshuman, then how do they relate to the greater Jewish community and to the Torah? How do they relate? Yeah, they cut At, off? Or... Sure, they, they said, we are no longer part of the Jewish nation. Correct. That's, that's Okay. But, you know, in, I'm talking about from a divine point of view. Are they then terrorists? Kares. Yes. Yes. It's, that's, they they so, have cut themselves off. Because tradition requires that, that a Jew not do that, even if they're pressured. They right. should, should sanctify exactly. God's name. Exactly right. Okay. Suffering if necessary. Yes. In, in contrasting 
the results, the terrible choices of Menashe and Rav Shokeh, we see that Menashe suffers Yitzhar Bahon within his experience of violating the Torah and the tension between the idolatry that he is pursuing and still maintaining his identity as a Jew, he suffers through that and according to our tradition, he did ultimately do Teshuvah. Rav Shoke apparently did not. Shlomo Melch sees prophetically that in the future, apparently not in his life, it sounds like in an afterworld punishment, he will suffer from the fire of God at the hand of an angel. This is a punishment that he will sustain, apparently not from having done teshuva. So the if we can compare, although they're both terrible, they're both committing idolatry, it seems that Menashe was better off, as it were, than Rav Shake. Of course, the tshuva is a game changer, but it seems that it's connected to the fact that he retained his identity as a Jew. That link pr- promoted the struggle that brought him back to tshuva, whereas Rav Shake was able to have a smooth and untroubled conscience. He just rejected his identity, joined up and accepted upon himself a new identity, and was not concerned or aroused to tshuva, and suffered the consequences in the world of truth. The Alta of Navardic was a Rosh Hashiva at the time when many Jews were abandoning Judaism. And he said, I'm sure that some of my students are going to sin in a, in a very profound manner. Not just a, an occasional slip-up, but in the most severe ways. But nonetheless... He says, one thing I'm sure about is that they will never enjoy sinning. They will be so imbued with the Musa of Navardic that they will not sin. They will not enjoy the sin. They will sin, but not enjoy the sin. They will still have this tension that will be a, a life a lifesaver, if you will, or a connection to, to be able to be reeled back, even though he anticipated the, the currents of the time were so strong that, that many would fail, but not in a manner that would be with full abandon and with ease of conscience. They would always feel held back, inhibited, not enjoy the sin. And that, that is, in of itself, a, a great benefit of the Musa that, that he gave. We see over here that Menashe, for all sinfulness, did do Teshuvah and Rav Shakeh, just let it go and never return. Let's take a look at Rashi. Masia Avonim Yeotze Bohem. Masia Avonim Imachatzavasam Beharim. One who queries stones from their attachment to the mountains. 
Misyagabahem will be worn out through them. Yeotsev will be saddened. Loshinigia means exhausted. They will be exhausted through them. Kemo, similar to Betzvon, Tachleno, in sadness you shall eat them, but meaning through exhaustion, through exertion. Kiloma, meaning to say, Kol Adam, Fimalachto, Etzvon. Each person, in accordance with his occupation, is his exhaustion. Af Osera, the fee, Shreel Sayikta. In accordance with a person's sinfulness, they will harvest the, the bitterness of those activities. So in a, in, a, in a very neutral sense, a person who is working at the quarry will suffer the challenges, the occupational hazards of such an individual. One who engages in sin will suffer the fallout as well. Yisochen bom, yischamen bom. Rashi learns will be warmed by them. Kamo lo sochenes. Like the description of Avishag, that she warmed King David in his old age. So the one who chops wood will be warmed by them. Afa osibatera mitzvahs. This is presented as a contrast to the one who toils in the quarry and will suffer the occupational hazards therein. The one who chops wood will reap the benefits of the warmth from the utility of that wood as fuel. One who toils and struggles in Torah and mitzvahs will in the end benefit from them. It's a contrast of one who toils and exerts himself in sin versus a person who toils and exerts himself in Torah and mitzvahs. That is the the contrast presented by the first part and second part of the verse according to Rashi and according to our sages. Rashi is following our sages in this interpretation of Yisochen, meaning the will will be warmed through them. That person will, will get the the results, the, the fruits of what they toil in. Both sides are toiling. There's toiling for good and toiling for evil. And the person will reap what they sow. The Ibn Ezra quotes this interpretation, disagrees with it. This word, Yisachen, does it mean to be warmed or to be endangered? Let's see the Ibn Ezra. Masiyah. Most of the commentaries explain Yisachen bom, Yishamen bom. That this word, Yisachen, means to be warmed. One who chops wood will be warmed by the fire through them. Like the verse that Rashi quotes. Avishag warmed King David. And the correct interpretation. A sochen is that. Zeh ha-pirush. 
below Rosh Rega. So although some make these comparisons to warming or a storehouse that is presenting the second clause of this verse in quite a positive light, the Ben rejects that. It has no head and foot. He says it does not fit in the next verse. In context, he says that is not the correct interpretation. More close to me, in my understanding, says the Ben Ezra, is the word Yisochen is coming from the root of Sakana, of endangering. It is known among the words of the earlier ones. And these two verses are connected. And we are still describing the praise of wisdom. And this is also connected to the previous verse. The fool, in his foolishness, will break down a barrier. And the wise will guard himself from this. And what is the idea that King Solomon is presenting? Is there's nothing in the world that a person can achieve without toil, weariness, challenge, and even endangerment. Even stones, they're in his domain. Whoever wants can come and take the stones. Not a big struggle, in theory. He will struggle to transport them to where he wants. It's not going to happen without some friction, without some challenge, some hardship. He's going to have to struggle to accomplish his goal, even though it's not opposing him. The stones aren't working against him. Nonetheless, it's a struggle. That's the nature of any accomplishment. Similarly, the trees of the forest. Somebody wants to chop down to harvest timber from the forest. He will struggle and toil and become weary and at sometimes even endangered. These are types of harvesting that would be, in theory, the most docile. It's, it's not like he's trying to catch lions or something. The, the danger and, and struggle is present even in quarrying stones and harvesting trees. There's no accomplishment, says Ibn Ezra, that doesn't entail struggle. Let's see how this Sfarno explains it. Masia Avonim. Ukmukain, Yukla Masia Avonim, a Mokum Bilti Hagon. She atse vikosha behem, who atmo. So Sfarno explains that one who is transporting stones to a place that is not appropriate will be wearied and stumble through them himself, meaning that this far as explaining this is a follow-up of what we said before, 
that the one who breaks down the barrier will be bit by the snake, or one who digs a pit will stumble and fall within it, so too, one who brings these stones to a place that is not the right place, appropriate place, will himself stumble on these stones. That's the way the Svarno explains it. Woke Eitzim, Isochen, Bohem, the one who chops the trees, will become endangered by them. So too can occur to one who chops down trees for their warmth. Even though he's doing so for good purpose. Nonetheless, there can be collateral damage. Sometimes there is harm that can come from the harvesting of these trees and, it, and then he can experience the harm. So he's trying to do something good even. Not only if he's doing something with negligence, even if he's trying to do something good, there are risks involved and he can cause harm to himself or others even if he's correct that benefit can come forth from using these trees that he's harvesting for their work. So let's give an example, working with this idea that even trying to do something positive, like this Farno says, doesn't have to be that he's being negligent, putting the stones in an unsafe way. He's doing something good. He's harvesting the wood, got a good plan, but there's a potential for fallout. He needs to be aware of that. He needs to understand that there can be negative consequences that he should be trying to avoid, even when trying to accomplish a positive goal. So you asked a good question in terms of a practical way of, of incorporating this idea. Let's look at the Gemara and Chagiga Tafhei Amr Aleph. When Rabbi Yochanan came to this verse, he cried. What's the verse that made Rabbi Yochanan cry? Verse later on in Kohelas, we're not quite there yet, next chapter. For all the deeds, God will come in judgment. A kol nalam, and any matter, and every matter that is hidden, im tov v'imra, whether good or evil. So Rabbi Yochanan cried. Continues the Gemara. Eved shirabo shokilo shogos kazdonos, the slave whose master weighs out for him, engages in judgment for unintentional sins, like intentional sins. Is there any possible redemption? This verse seems to equate intentional and unintentional sins. There will be judgment for both in one breath, as it were. My What is intended for every hidden matter? Amarav, that God will come in judgment for every hidden matter. What are we including over here? Rav says, Rav says, if one kills a louse in the presence of his friend, and the friend is repulsed by this sight, 
This is something that will be a cause of judgment for a hidden matter. A hidden matter. The, the person was trying to kill a louse. That's not necessarily a bad thing. The louse is a, a parasite. He, he's not interested in being the host anymore. So he wants to kill the louse. Can't really fault him for that. But he did so and he squashed it in the presence of his friend. His friend felt revulsion at this sight. He will be judged for that. Vishmul, Amashmul says, what is the example that Shmuel brings? I'll call Nalam on any hidden, every hidden matter. This includes one who spits in front of his friend and causes his friend revulsion. He has some phlegm. What's he supposed to do with it? Well, he should spit it out. But he should do so in a manner that does not cause his friend to feel repulsion. And this is a practical application of the maxims we were just reading? I would suggest that it is. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure I'm following. That although each act directly is reasonable, it's not unreasonable for the fellow to kill the louse. It's not unreasonable for him to remove the phlegm that he's coughed up from his mouth. But there is an element of judgment. There is a consequence here that is dangerous. That it's being, in the event that it is being watched by a bystander who will feel repulsion at this site, a revulsion at this site, he, he will be judged. Although what he did and the intentions of what he did were fine and reasonable, but there is fallout. And he should have been mindful and careful to avoid that fallout. So one thing that is obvious over here is that there is judgment for causing our fellow man to feel revulsion. That, that is obvious. Of course, the reason why we did it might have been a good idea. But we need to avoid such fallout. Make sure that it's that the, this phlegm is put into a tissue where nobody is watching or something like that. Kill the last one, nobody's looking, or that the person is, you know, that they're not sensitive to, to that, that side. Whatever the case may be, it is important to avoid causing nimas, causing a sense of revulsion by our fellow humans. And it brings about judgment. It, it, it is a source of judgment. That's what Yochan is saying. It's, he's crying over this. It's, it's unintentional. To Shigogo. He's not trying to, to make this happen. It just happened as a consequence of what he did, which is okay. Still there's judgment on that. Rabbi Yochanan is stricken with a sense of awe and terror at the depth of judgment. Even though it was unintentional. Even though it was unintentional, exactly. Just like in the Sparno's example, he's doing something reasonable. Mm -hmm. He's got a plan, he's going to harvest this wood to warm himself up, but there are risks involved. He has to be careful about that. Don't just make a simple equation. This is a good idea, and and don't think further. Right. If somebody is going to be negatively impacted by it, think about it and and avoid that. And that would be the cure. Thinking ahead. This is That's right. Cool. That's the, that is the chacham, the the wise one, who is being extolled, as the Ezra said over here and not being entrapped with his folly.